Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. We've got to look at this narrative before we read it. I want, I want us to remember that day of Pentecost, um, chapter uh, 2, the day of Pentecost where the Spirit comes and fill, you know, the tongues of fire and all of that. We're going to see the, this occasion reflects that occasion. Uh, the Cornelius is a centurion. We'll, we'll look at that, but I just want, at the outset, I want us to pay attention to that because we're going to talk about that later. Uh, this chapter is one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts in that it includes the first uh, Christ, the first Gentile receiving Christ. Okay, and the Gentiles are, again, so when Christ talked about, you know, beginning in Jerusalem, work your way out into all Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, that includes all the Gentiles. We looked at the table of nations in Genesis, and J- anyway, so all of all of the scattered are basically called Gentiles. Okay, so it's very important uh, regarding that. And it's a fir- this is the first account of the Spirit poured out on the, on Gentiles. Okay, uh, and so before we read Acts ten, I want to uh, read. Uh, First uh, Colossians chapter one verses twenty four through twenty seven. Uh, this is what Paul says. <clears throat> he says, "I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for the sake of His body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, and now has been revealed to His saints. To them God willed to be to make known." Uh, what are the riches of glory in, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, this is a passage we will consider another time because this is a very, that's very important. The, the, the hope, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, but mystery, uh, if we remember our study in mystery, and, and what he's saying is the mystery, which was in the Old Testament about the, about the Gentiles, is now being revealed. Okay, and particularly... In this chapter, that's why I wanted to kind of set it up um, uh, with that. So again, the word mysterion, the Greek word mysterion, is what Paul usually refers to as that which was once concealed, hidden, is now being revealed. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, that's fine. At the end of chapter 9, do you remember the end of chapter 9 where Peter's staying with Simon the Tanner? That's kind of a prelude into this account, okay? We need to remember that we'll see him again, and, and we'll just need to remember that. So that the end of that chapter kind of goes into this chapter. Um, okay. So I, for, I forgot to look in our atlas last time, but I wanted to show you basically a map of Judea. Here's Samaria. And there's Galilee. That's where Christ was born, and, and that's where his ministry began, too. Uh, and that's where Nazareth was and all of that kind of stuff. And, and but this and we'll look, we're going to see another uh, uh, map too. But this is the, here's where Joppa is, and we're going to remember Joppa. That's where Simon is, or Peter is right now, kind of a thing. Uh, I mean, you know, in the story. <laughs> uh, and then and we're going to start in Caesarea, but that's where that is. And we're going to look at another map anyway. Uh, so first, let's go ahead and read chapter ten, and we'll break it down. Everybody ready? Oh, do you want to look ahead? Okay. <clears throat> there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, 
who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose sure name is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner, by, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angels who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and, and drew near the city, Peter went up on the household to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they, were, they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending uh, to him and let down the, uh, to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, uh, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while, now while Peter uh, wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made an inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked uh, whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down uh, to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am, he, uh, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation, reputation among all the, nations, uh, all the nation of the Jews, uh, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged, and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now, now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter, was, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted, up, lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And, and as he talked with him, <clears throat> he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting in this hour, or until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, uh, call Simon here, whose sure name is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I, so I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the, with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of, 
And we were, all, we were witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he uh, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the, uh, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as uh, came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. All right, let's go back up to uh, verse 1. And I have the verses here, so you can you know follow along. Uh, with there. Um, interestingly, uh, Christ had that, that encounter with the centurion that, I, that we looked at last week um, actually happened in Caesarea Philippi, so it's another Caesarea. It's basically just depending on the Tetrarch who's controlling it. So this is Caesarea Philippi. Uh, this is Caesarea Meritus? Anyway, something like that. But this is where this Cornelius is. This is where Cornelius is. Uh, and, and as we saw, Joppa's down here. Yeah, I have another map coming up. Um, but this is where they're going, okay? This is the Mediterranean Sea, so they're right on the sea. Okay. Uh, and and uh, yeah, it's Maritima. I didn't know I wrote it. But Caesarea Maritima was, uh, was a seaport 65 miles northwest of uh, Jerusalem, as we see. Uh, uh, it was rebuilt and improved by Herod the Great. Um, and uh, yeah, it became a provi provincial city where tetrarchs would go um, we'll see this we'll see caesarea many times throughout acts with festus that's where festus is that's why it's in parentheses uh anyway we'll we'll see this we'll see caesarea throughout the book of acts um and we'll see also in the next chapter that this occasion is repeated by peter uh, because a bunch of the jews there are upset that he was uh hanging out with 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 a Gentile or somebody of another nation. So uh, we've got to understand that's also repeated because of its importance. Whenever you see something repeated, particularly with Luke, that means you've got to understand that's, that, that's showing the degree of in importance of that uh, specific thing. That's why uh, Paul's account of Christ coming to him is given three times in the book of Acts, because it's very important, obviously. Um, so it says, um, a devout man and one who feared God. Remember a God fear? Remember what a God fear was? It's a proselyte to Judaism, that he, but he wasn't circumcised. But this, but that a that a man that a soldier from Italy, a Roman soldier, an Italian regiment, a centurion would believe in God and put away all of those those mythological gods and come to believe in God is a profound mystery. It's one that, that, that begs the question how, uh, especially with how the Jews were seen at that time. The Romans didn't care for the Jews. And the, the Jewish government, basically the leaders and everything, they were all corrupt. There was, a, there was a ton of corruption in Judaism at that time, particularly in Jerusalem. Think about, our, think about Washington, D.C. Okay? That's what it was like. So somehow he came across at least one faithful Jew who changed his life forever and now he believes in God okay uh, but I just think and also 
So, who feared God with all his household. Cornelius had a Bible study. Cornelius taught his family. His whole family came to faith because he came to faith. Remember what I had mentioned, that basically it was assumed that if a man believed, his whole household believed. And that's why. So this, so we saw the other uh, centurion in our last uh, last week. There's another centurion right after uh, uh, Christ dies on the cross. And I don't know if you've read the account, but there was an earthquake. It was dark for hours. Uh, The veil was torn from the top to the bottom. All sorts of stuff. The dead were raised. All sorts of stuff. And so he's there, and he's basically saying, surely, what does he say? Uh, certainly, this was a righteous man. So, and other occasions say, certainly, this is the son of God. And so, so there are three centurions in the book of Acts that come to faith. That's incredible. And, as we're going to see, that bears testimony to the true history of this. Even if we want to fancy that these people came up, that, that the apostles came up with this stuff because of some ridiculous nonsense, and we'll consider, maybe, but, but let's just even say that. How do you explain Cornelius? How do you explain the spread in the Roman government because of Cornelius and men like him? The soldier, that we'll see, uh, that he sends, we read the account. So, all of that. Like, you can't explain that. What, 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 what does Cornelius get out of that? He's already being despised because he doesn't like the Roman gods. He doesn't believe in the Roman gods. Trust me, that that was that was that was a hindrance for him. That was a that was a that was a deal for him. So the Italian regiment uh, would be this group would be an auxiliary Roman force uh, regiment. Uh, another word for regiment is cohort. Just for quickly, just so you know. So a legion would basically be what is it? A th- uh, legion was made up of six thousand soldiers. Each legion was divided into ten cohorts or ten regiments. And, you, and then you would have six over what's called a centuria. So a centurion was typically in charge of 100 men. But since he's of the Italian regiment, this suggests he was of a higher office. So probably had more than just 100 men under his. And he's, they're defending Caesarea because of its strategic location, obviously. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I already said that. Yeah, he said that. Okay. Okay, so about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision uh, an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, just so you know, real quickly before we even do this, God, look, I've usually, I usually like to use commentaries and different things, you know. I mean, I start with looking at myself. This one is basically all... God revealed a ton this this week, and so we've got a lot. Um, I'm going to try to uh, kind of skate through some of this, but there are things that I want to talk about that are important to talk about, and so I just want to prepare you that for that um, going forward. So, um, what is the vision? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so the, here's another occasion of a vision, though, which we're going to look at. Um, but because, again, remember last time I told you that, that, that a vision from Christ is greater than that of the eye. And we're going to see that, though, because we're going to look at Peter's specifically uh, in that light anyway. Um, but, but I just wanted to point out that, you know, we have another vision of here. Uh, but see how 
God doesn't wait for man to come to him, but he's going after Cornelius. He's going to have Cornelius. We will see God seems to get impatient towards the end. <laughs> we'll see that. because I mean, it seems like, but he's going to have Cornelius and he's coming after Cornelius. Um, and, and he vows and he wasn't admonished for it. And he even says, what is it, Lord? So this might have been Christ because he later refers to, you know, a man. I saw a man. And, uh, but that happens in the Old Testament too. People, uh, the, th real quickly, the three angels at uh, the Oaks of Mamre with Abraham. It says three men. When when uh, uh, Jacob wrestled with uh, the man, that was an angel. So they're kind of uh, interchangeable sometimes. Um, but it could very well be. We don't know for sure. So I'm just throwing it out there as a possibility. Or it could be an angel. But he wasn't admonished for it. So it leaves me to assume it was actually uh, um, Christ. Um, and if it was Christ, this kind of reflects uh, Paul's response when he's, you know, uh, on the road uh, to Damascus. You know, who is it, Lord? Well, he's saying, what is it, Lord? So it's just reflective of when God's coming to these men, unbeknownst to them. <laughs> you know? uh, so memorials, are, so it says, you know, what is it? And he said, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. A memorial was something that was very significant, very significant. Uh, so... Well, yeah. Real quickly, though, also, we have to understand Cornelius, as a Gentile, could never pass the court of the Gentiles in the temple. He was stuck there, so could never offer sacrifices. He says, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. He couldn't give sacrifices. He couldn't go in and offer sacrifices because he was a Gentile. All he's left, really, to do is prayers and alms. It's the dishwasher. Okay. It goes off. It's I got like a ten minute song for whatever reason. Uh, anyway, uh, so so he's God is recognizing the piety of this man. He's not able to follow the law that way. Many of the Jews at that time will, would think that offering sacrifices, offering these things, even mandated on the law. So I mean, there's kind of a reason for that. But 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 Cornelius is manifesting his the faithfulness of his God. So. God doesn't come to Cornelius because his prayers and his alms. He comes to Cornelius because he's already come to Cornelius. But he comes to save him through Christ for that ultimate, ultimate redemption, the true ultimate redemption. But he did not choose Cornelius because of his piety. Cornelius is pious because he's chosen by God. We must recognize that. We have to recognize that. It's not the goodness and the righteousness of the man. It's the goodness, the faithfulness, and the righteousness of our God. It doesn't make man nothing, as we'll see. But ultimately, it's all God's. Um, so another memorial was when Christ's disciple, there's a, there's a time where he's in Bethany, and, and a woman comes in full of uh, alabaster oil, and, he, and she anoints him and pours it on his head. It's very expensive. And his disciples are getting upset particularly Judas, because remember, he controlled the purse. Uh, but they're all they're getting upset. You know, this woman wasted all this. And, and he said, uh, why, do you why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. Uh, for you have the poor with you always, but me you do not uh, have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my bur burial. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And... Cornelius, this is a memorial to Cornelius. He's saying your prayers and your alms come up for a memorial before God. God has left Cornelius as a memorial for us. 
I just think that's fascinating. God's awesome. So, uh, okay. So here's the map. Um, so here's where Joppa... Remember Lita, too, in the, that, that occasion? Um, so there's Joppa, and so they're all on the coast. And remember, well, so here it is. Now send uh, men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Uh, he is lodging with uh, Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what uh, you must do. So the angel told him the specific location. He says, you know, Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When God sends his people, he doesn't give them, he doesn't do it without direction. He always leads them with direction. Okay. We'll see with Peter's vision, he doesn't immediately know that, but God is revealing that, continually revealing that uh, until he gets to Cornelius' house. Um, uh, yeah. If you call it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot, by the way, because this is kind of fancy. See, I can do this, and then, look at that, I can circle stuff. <laughs> yeah, I got a laser pointer. All right. Okay. Next one. So, seven and eight, and when the, uh, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among whom those who waited uh, on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Isn't that interesting? Two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among so it wasn't just Cornelius that's the soul the that's uh that's a proselyte. Probably through the faithfulness of of his master, this soldier comes to faith as well. So Cornelius is a great man. He's teaching and he's preaching and, and, and edifying his household, and that soldier's around and he comes to faith as well. Um and these three men waited on him continually. I'm sure he was, they were probably his most trusted, kind of his inner circle of, of men, uh, kind of a thing. Um, yeah, the faithfulness of our God produces faithfulness in his servants, which produce faithfulness to theirs as well, which is what happens with Cornelius to the soldier. All right, verses 9 and 10. The next day, real quickly. And the next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the household to pray, housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. So this is a general depiction of a, of a house in, the, in, the, in that time. Uh, so you would have these stairs, other, and you would also sometimes have ladders or either of those. Usually it wasn't both, but you would, you would hang out on the housetop. Uh, we, see, anyway, we see that throughout the Gospels. And here Peter's going up. You know, while the, he was very hungry and he's waiting to eat, he probably prayed at least three times a day by himself, solitary prayer. I mean, he's he's probably praying corporately a lot. I mean, he's Peter, so but but he's uh, he's as a Jew, he's probably praying at least three times a day. This is probably the, the midday prayer just before he eats, uh, you know, lunch or whatever. Uh, because remember, we have that later prayer just before the evening sacrifice, about the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock. Um, so, yeah, but the sixth hour is noon. So remember, it starts, generally, it starts at sunrise, which is generally six o'clock, and works its way, its way uh, up. Um, yep, 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 yep. As the meal was being prepared. Yeah, as the meal, yeah, he was hungry. And remember, he's hungry. So I think that's important to recognize with the vision that he gets, because it's, it's a bunch of animals, and Christ is saying, take up and eat. And so he's hungry during this trance, and, and I just want to make that... Uh, clear real quickly. So a trance. He fell into a trance. Okay, this can come up again with a vision and everything. This we can imagine all sorts of different things. But the Greek word for trance is ek ekstasis, and its root word is existemi, 
Existimi, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, which means to throw out of place or displace. It can mean to amaze or astonish or even be insane, uh, which is interesting, but obviously that's not contextually here. Um, in this context, it means that as Peter's praying, he's kind of transported out of himself, so to speak. Uh, although he's awake, his mind is drawn uh, from like his surrounding objects, and he sees only what God uh, is, is giving him. Uh, the vision we're about to consider, I just want to mention the word vision, um, which is here somewhere. Well, maybe it's not. But in it includes the word, its, its root, visit. So think about it. When, whenever you visit somebody, it's to see them. When you're visited by somebody, it's to be seen. So visiting includes vision. That's just important to recognize. Uh, these visions are God visiting his people. Okay, so verses 11 and 12. And saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and, and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So the first uh, vision Peter saw was heaven opening. We see this throughout the We saw it with Stephen, you know, when he saw the glory of God in Christ at his right hand. Um, we saw it when the heavens opened, when God flooded the earth. Um, uh, it's in the beginning of the Ezekiel, but y'all aren't all that familiar. It, uh, it, it says that it's uh, Christ's baptism when the Spirit descended. It says the heavens opened and the Spirit descended uh, in bodily form like a dove. Uh, again, Stephen saw it. So the term great sheet can also mean like a sail on a ship, uh, a huge sail on a ship. That the great sheet was bound at the four corners, I think, I think shows like the, the north, west, south, east, you know, east north, south, west, and east of, of the world. You know, every corner of the world. That's, that's what it's signifying. Um, so Luke 13, 29, we saw this when we briefly introduced hell. Uh, Christ said they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. So again, this vision is significant and sets the stage for the gospel to be preached to the uttermost corners or ends of the earth. Okay. Uh, we shouldn't be, wonder how Peter might be able to see all these animals at once. Okay, people get bent up on that, but this is a vision of God. Okay, he's, he's able to. Okay, here's where we're going to quickly, very briefly, consider visions and what, what this means kind of a thing. Okay, real quickly. I, when I was in karate, when I was really young, I remember uh, our master te teaching us to meditate. And what he would say is, free your mind. Free your mind. I didn't know how to do that. I don't know what that means. And so I asked him. I was trying to be, you know, I, I wanted, I was interested. I thought, you know, everybody else seemed to be, and, and seemed to be a great time. Well, seemingly kind of boring, but, but whatever. And so I asked him, you know, how do I, how do I think of nothing? It's like, well, just think of clouds and see where that leads you. And I was like, well, that's something, but okay. And so I would think of clouds, basically. <coughs> so that's Eastern meditation, that, that's, the, that's our general idea of, uh, of uh, meditation, right? You get there um, and just think of nothing. You just kind of escape and you know, all that kind of a thing. Christian meditation is not that way. Now, there's never been an angel that has come to me. Right? I've never been visited by these particular things, but I can tell you, very seldomly, but it has happened, or if I'm, if I'm in prayer, I can see everything almost at once. It's incredible. It's incredible. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens sometimes when I'm reading the scripture. But that meditation, that, vis that visitation 
of God, which he, he, spe- he, he graciously gives just from time to time so you don't get puffed up on it or even depend too much on it. But when it happens, it's wonderful, it's beautiful. You, you, your, your eyes are weak <laughs> compared to that. You see everything at once. I can't, I can't explain that to you. You know, and that's what that's what's going on here. Like I've never had this, right? But I've had something like it. I, I can tell you that uh, from experience, and it's and it's wonderful, especially through uh, scripture. Um, yeah, and even the greatest minds, if they're not of God, have, are blind to all these. Um, I got really poetic, and I don't really want to get into all that. Uh, and becomes. Yeah, man becomes the image and likeness of God in a way I too rarely see, in fact. Um, yeah, even reading. Uh, yeah, his word becomes a single voice, and it's though, you know, an echo repeating the same glorious message, which Christ said, because I live, you will live also. So, in those visions, when, when, or those times, right, where I see everything at once, I see his word all, all kind of merging together, and ultimately what Christ said, because I live, you will live also. The testimony, the, the covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant, the, the Bible generally is condensed in that one phrase from Christ. Because I live, you will live also. The whole testimony of the Bible leads to that. All right. Okay. 13 and 14, and a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So the blanket was full of clean and uh, and unclean animals. Uh, And um, when Christ called the 12, remember, to go out and preach his name, to heal diseases, to cast out demons and all that, Christ commanded them to only go to those in Judea, not, not Samaria and not to Gentiles, because again, Christ's ministry was just to Jews. He, he even seemingly insults the Samaritan. It, it was a gracious act, so I'm not going to get into it, but it, he, it, it's really to deliver her. Uh, but he, he, his ministry was only to Jews. We see in the book of John, Greeks were coming to speak to him. and Phil, uh, Andrew went because Andrew's always taking, taking people to Christ. But uh, he brought uh, these guys, and, and it never says he actually spoke to him. Is basically saying, okay, my hours come, that you know it's not time for the Son of Man to be glorified, and never says he actually talked to him. His ministry was only to Jews. Now it's not, but Peter doesn't. You know, Peter's slow to understand that, and that's what I'm trying to emphasize. He hung out with Simon the Tanner, so it's starting, right? It's starting to, and he saw uh, Christ's um, interaction with the centurion, but he he probably sees that as an exception. You know, Christ is the Messiah; he can preach to whomever he's going to preach. He can save whomever he's going to save. You know, the same doesn't necessarily apply to me um uh yeah it's a diet yeah um so here peter though is saying no right now the law is telling him he must not eat these things right okay and so for the first the first one because again this happens three times so the first one he says you know rise peter kill and eat and peter says no I've never eaten anything. Almost like he's puffing himself up. But he says no. Now, it happened three times. I think this kind of... And this... I have many conjectures as to the three times. But I think it's because also Peter denied Christ three times, remember? And now he's denying him again three times. 
And what we're going to see is that he's learning. God, is, God doesn't admonish him for even saying no. He, God knows what he's doing. <laughs> and that's what this is. So he doesn't admonish him. Uh, he didn't, and he says no three times. So, and then even the second time. So, and the voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times and the object was taken up to, into heaven. So when he heard that the first time, he should have changed his mind. Because even though it's in, in the law, ultimately the law is what God has given. God would never contradict himself. Okay, and so what he's what God is saying is, okay, you've never eaten anything common or unclean. Well, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. So stop with that. But he kept on answering the same way. We we have to understand he's slow to understand this vision specifically, um, and that he could eat, you know, something unclean. Um, and yeah, so he he's doing this three times. I think in the providence of God, this reflects Peter denying him denying Christ three times and what God is saying you did it again don't ever do it again I'd let you do it through this one that's okay I understand the vision the unclean animals I understand you're a little hesitant but from now on never ever deny me okay um, and so real quickly we're going to I don't know why we're reading this sorry <laughs> we're going to uh Oh, yeah, this goes into what Christ said about the, the diet. I wish I would have had an introduction. Anyway, so when he, had I'm gonna read there. when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him uh, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated, is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil lie, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So Christ is even already saying, you know, quit focusing on, on this diet. That wasn't the purpose of the diet in the first place, which we'll, which we'll consider. The, the nation of Israel was for a particular time. Israel is still people in God's people, mm -hmm. but it becomes a global nation, and we'll look at that. Okay. Isn't that fancy? Little ripples. All right, verses uh, 17 and 18. Now, while Peter wondered within himself that this vision which he had seen meant, behold, uh, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for, for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. So, in the province of God, while, while Peter's thinking about what, what does this vision mean, the men are appearing. So, we have to understand the timing. It's waves, I know. So, that's one thing y'all can decide to include or exclude. Anyway, uh, um, uh, what was I saying? What was I saying? The three men at the door. Oh yeah, in the providence of God, yeah, while he's, while he's considering this vision, the men are showing up. So the timing, we have to understand, God's providence, so he's not even going to let or make Peter really wait all that long to understand the meaning of the vision, which, which becomes more and more clear as he goes on his journey, which we'll see. Um, but, God, but Peter's found it to be a strange vision. I mean, why would God, you know, he's left to wonder 
what was that about? And he could, because, you know, again, he was never admonished and he just kept on telling God, not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And it just happened three times. Like, what was the point of all that? And so he's just wondering within himself. Uh, so we see here that even God's most anointed leaders, this is Peter, needs an interpretation. Sometimes needs an interpreter. Okay? That, that means no man, no matter how much he's called of God, is isolated or on an island and, and has all the wisdom, wisdom and everything. Uh, but we, we have to consider also that Luke is emphasizing that Peter is considering the vision. He didn't decide, well, that's really difficult. I have no idea what to make of that, and so I'm going to go and play golf and just ignore it and try to figure it out later. No, he's taking the time when God has revealed himself, just like in his Bible, you take the time to seek him. You take the time to try to make sense of it, to interpret it, to find the interpretation. You don't just move on because it was difficult. Um, yeah, well, he, he ponders, yeah, let's see. Um, oh, I have a lot here. Okay, yeah, good. Um, yeah, God is the creator and master of all things, and man is not as free as uh, we might like to think. So to have a free will does not, and it can't mean to be a law unto yourself or to be autonomous. Freedom, that's why I always said, Freedom, and this is what I was kind of telling you earlier, freedom and liberty is actually only found in God. Now, now think about this for a second. To love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, would mean that His revelation, who God is, His commands to us, are not this tyrannical law and command to to compare to compel us to do these things. These are things that if we love him, we naturally do, right? Okay, like I leave her flowers, you know, every morning. She didn't tell me to do that. I don't do it out of compulsion. I don't do it out of, out of this strict regimen that I have. I do it actually for myself. I love her. I love her and nothing, nothing could stop me from do, my being faithful to her. I don't, I don't, that's not a thing that I struggle with. Not because, not because it's some rule that you know would just break up break up our family. That that that's that's a thing to be considered. That's a thing to be considered, and not because even our marriage would be broken. Because I can't imagine going outside of our marriage. I just love her. So following the law. You know, truly loving God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, to follow the law is merely to love Him, and that is where. Freedom is found. We see the law as a slavery. Sin is the slavery. Sin is the bondage. In love and fidelity to our God, ultimate freedom. To do what is right is to be free. We find freedom and liberty as, this, this, as being synonymous with autonomy. To be a law in, unto yourself. That's not what it is. True liberty, true freedom frees you to do what you ought to do. That's what America was actually founded upon. They weren't allowed to worship the way they believed God had commanded them. Things like that. But we've lost that sight and just think free will and liberty and freedom just means we can just do whatever we want. That, that is bondage. 
That's slavery. That's despotism. That's tyrannical. And that's a lie. So, again, that's all I wanted to say about that. Okay, let's go to the next. Verses 19 and 20. While Peter thought about the vision, he's still thinking, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Uh, rise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So he's still, still considering the vision again. Uh, so this is tell Peter to wonder no longer. He can still wonder, but now, you know, do as I say. Okay, go. There are three men uh, waiting for you. Go, doubting nothing. He's still wondering about this vision, so the Spirit is comforting him. Just go. You know, I know you don't understand the vision completely, but as you go, I command you to go. So this is, this is my, I'm going to reveal it as you go. Just, you know, obey and, and, and you'll see how the, uh, how the vision, uh, or what the vision means. Um, uh, yeah, again, the visions and their inter interpretations are given by God alone. Um, yeah, and perhaps the vision happened three times to signify three men. We don't know. <laughs> Uh, I'm not called to speculate. I'm called to, yeah, uh, exhort the text. Um, yeah, uh, same thing. Um, yeah, doubting nothing. See so, yeah, how he's trying? Well, that's fine. Uh, for, and it says, you know, for I have sent them. Uh, God has sent these men to Peter so he can be sent to Cornelius. Um yeah, many God makes are created to be angels of men, and that's basically what the—that's what Peter's—that's what Peter is. That's what these these messengers of the gospel are angels of men. Does that make sense? Okay. This is Peter from the Chosen. I just know some of us have been watching it, so I figured. It'd been... Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, Peter didn't delay in going down to the men. He he quickly goes down to them. I mean, we can't, I can't help but, but consider how hesitant he, he still was in his heart. You know, he's going to obey his master. He's going to go down to these men. It's a long way. Hmm? It's a long way. Oh, sure. But, but right now he's just going basically downstairs yeah. to see the men. Uh, but, uh, but, but realize also Peter's vision was different than that of Paul's and Ananias's. Those were clear. Those were clear directions. They knew exactly what they were supposed to do. Peter's isn't. You know, and we have to appreciate that he's still listening to his Christ. He's still obeying his Christ. He's still following his Christ, even when he's looking at a situation that he never imagined he would that his Christ would put himself in. Um, and we don't know if Simon the Tanner actually told him that they were here, but uh, we'll look at that. Um, and especially that there were two servants and a soldier. I mean, that, that's got to be, the vision didn't say anything about that. And even when, you know, uh, the angel says, or, or the uh, Christ says, you know, I've sent three men to you. He didn't say, by the way, one of them is a soldier, so just want to give you a heads up before you go down there. You don't, you know, <laughs> you're not going to cut your head off or anything. Um, yeah, so he does go down. And we'll see again in the next chapter what this means, the significance of this. Again, we'll see it a little bit at the end. But next week, when he goes back, or next week we'll see when he goes back to Jerusalem, he, he's he's getting castigated for eating with these with with Gentiles. Okay. Um, okay. 
2023. And they said, Cornelius is centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, or yeah, all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged, lodged with them. I don't, it didn't initially say with. <laughs> On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So, if Peter wasn't shocked enough to open the door and see two, a centurion, or, or I mean, I'm sorry, a soldier and, and, and two Gentiles. I mean, again, he knows of three men. Now he sees, okay, they're Gentiles. He didn't know that. <laughs> he might have, again, Simon might have told him, but let's just suppose he didn't. And so he opens the door, and first of all, they're Gentiles. One's a soldier. And then they, they said, Cornelius is centurion. So... Now, if he weren't shocked enough that it's two Gentiles and a soldier, now he's hearing you were sent by a centurion? <laughs> so what is this about? Um, he might have been comforted to hear that he, you know, he was a God-fearer, but still, he still got that hesitation. Um, and to hear that this centurion had just made a in all the nations do is divinely instructed by a holy angel to that would be dang near impossible for a Jew to accept. There were, there were visions, uh, like the one given to Pharaoh, the dream uh, that Pharaoh had, and the butler, and the, and the baker, and all that kind of thing, and, and Nebuchadnezzar, in Babylon, with Daniel. But those were all given as a revelation and as a providence for the Jew. That wasn't really a vision for Pharaoh. I mean, it served to uh, provide for Egypt and everything, but that wasn't to save the Pharaoh or anything. That was for the Jews. This is for Cornelius. So this would be just a huge shock uh, to Peter. Um, yeah, yeah, I already said all that. Oh, yeah, and Peter would have had to probably convince Simon to let these people in. Remember, this is Simon's house. So, you know, and again, Simon probably, I mean, he had to hesitate, but this is the apostle, so... I mean, yeah, you gotta let them in, and and in the uh, Old Testament, you know, you it, it's what it, it. Well, we'll get to that when he goes to uh, Cornelius. But you see in the Old Testament about uh, what Jews are actually commanded to let the strangers in and lodge there. But we have to understand one of the hesitancies were just eating with them because even if you didn't eat the unclean thing, the other your clean thing would basically be con contaminated. So let's say you know you you have a lamb. And there's bacon right here. Well, it's, you know, they're too close together for their comfort kind of a thing. Um, okay. But Simon, Simon was already a tanner, remember? And so he was kind of already an outcast of the Jews. And now he's supposed to let these Gentiles in and eat with them? Because they were definitely going to eat. I mean, that would just make him more and more of an outcast. However, in the providence of God, since he has changed the old customary diet to the Christian diet, and now all things are permissible, more or less, um, uh, that means his occupation as a tanner won't—he won't be an outcast of the Christians to the church. Does that make sense? So in the providence of God, this actually works out well for him. Um, yeah, Jewish guys—that's fine. Yeah, and we'll see uh, as we saw um, brethren from Joppa. Peter talks. Peter said, mentions in the next chapter that there were six men and. A, can almost guarantee one of them was Simon the Tanner, who went with him to uh, uh, Caesarea. Okay, 
24. And the following day they entered uh, Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and close friends. So it took him two days to get to Caesarea, obviously, uh, which was about 30 miles away. But they're walking, okay? Um, and, and yeah, it took him two days to get there. Cornelius had no idea when they would arrive or even if Peter's coming. You know, you have to understand. And so he has no idea. And I just feel his anticipation. Like he's probably walking around, pacing the floor all those days. Especially because we'll see when when he answers Peter that it was actually four days since he had seen the vision. When Peter gets there, it had been four days. So those four days, like can you imagine what Cornelius is going through? <laughs> I mean, he's just... He's just like, okay, what time is it? Okay, 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 okay. Where are, where are, where are, where are they? Where are they? You know, that's why I like this picture, um, just because he's looking out, waiting. He's eagerly anticipating his arrival, hoping, but trusting in God's providence. God has shown him this vision to call for a man named Peter and for him to come. So Cornelius knows that God's promise is true. He might doubt men, might doubt the hearts of men, which is understandable, especially with Jews. He knows he's an outcast. He knows any Jew would hesitate to come into his house. But he also knows his God is faithful. And we'll see in the next verse that it may be that some of his pagan background creeps in from time to time. Mm -hmm. But we'll also see that's quickly remedied. All right. Okay, 25 and 26. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. When Christ was worshipped, he didn't admonish because he is the Lord of lords. Whenever uh, a man is worshipped or an angel is worshipped, they're quick to say, you know, no, obeisance is only for God and God alone. Worship only God. Christ receives worship because he's God. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Cornelius's worship of Peter is why I think uh, his paganism is starting to creep in a little bit. The Romans believed at that time, you know, men could become gods kind of thing. And, and he's probably thinking, you know, God sent this man. He's, he's an, you know, he'd, he'd knelt to the angel and everything was fine. Here's an angel as a man. So he's just thinking, you know, I'm sure you know, it's, it's perfectly reasonable for him. Um, yeah. Uh, and he's swiftly, qu quickly very politely rebuked. Um, no man is to be worshipped. Uh, he might be revered, somebody we, we appreciate and want to reflect, you know, we want to kind of emulate kind of a thing, but he must never be worshipped. Um, the man can always be less, but he can never be more than a man. Okay? Uh, yeah. In other words, God gave his apostles a special and distinct uh, ministry, right? And an and, and authority unlike anybody else, but they are not to be worshipped. Okay, this is important in a few different ways. So we're, so we're going to start off with, uh, it might seem audacious, but these are Christ's ambassadors. And if we deny them, if we disobey them, we disobey Christ. Christ said that. So like it or not, you might want to dismiss it. But that's just the fact. They're not to be worshipped. So, we don't pray to them. We don't pray to them. They are not intercessory. In, in, they don't intercede for us. Okay. Now I'm going to have to talk about the church a little bit. So, well, hang on. We'll get to that, actually, after a little bit. Um, yeah. 
again, it's God alone who does all the, who does all these things. Um, yeah. So also though, that doesn't make us puppets, you know, just because God is the one who's doing all of these things. So Cornelius still had to send for Peter, and Peter still had to come. So that there so there are volitional things going on with these men, but they were responding to the faithfulness of their God, to the truth in God. Does that make sense? But these aren't automatons, you know, these aren't data bits just, you know, and God's just entering a command into the computer. And the bit just goes. These are people. These are real live people who are acqu- who are obeying their God. Um, yeah. Okay. Here it is. So a little bit of a word about this worship of Cornelius. The the Catholic Church is made historically made a distinction between service, which is dulia, and worship, which is latria, and they encouraged what's called. Ida, Dulia, so even the service to idols. Not worship, but the service. Okay? Um, and the Virgin Mary was to receive not only Dulia, but hyper-Dulia. Calvin argued that this was a distinction without a difference. Whenever you're prostrating yourself before a statue or before anything that certainly seems like worship, and in fact, and we can get into this some other time, because the term that the Catholic Church uses for it even basically says worship. Um, but praying to these people definitely make them more like God than just people. Again, these are people we can... Virgin, Virgin Mother Mary is a great testimony of, of women. Again, I've mentioned this before. I think the reformers have gone the other direction. They're so scared to talk about Mary because of how the Catholics think about her that they don't ever talk about her. She, she was an amazing pillar of a woman. Amazing woman. There's a Helen in the also in all these things. And sadly, so it, it's kind of had uh, a cascading effect in that regard. But I just wanted to make it clear that we don't pray to men. We pray to God. We pray through Christ, and again, we can emulate these people. We can appreciate these. Peter, my gosh, you know I love Paul. You know I love James, but I'll never pray to them, ever. If I did, I would would be absolutely offending and insulting God. They they have no power. The apostles do not have any power in and of themselves. All they have is the power of Christ in them, just like us. They were just given more and an authoritative power, but not an intercessory power. That's kind of a hard word to say, but they don't intercede for us. Okay, they just have the power of uh, authority. Um, All right. Any questions with that real quickly? Okay. Verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. That's him inviting him in. Uh, Peter would actually have been surprised by so many people. We have to remember Peter's hesitant to even go. So it's one thing to accept uh, uh, Gentiles inside. Uh, that was kind of fine, according to the law. But to go into a Gentile's house, that was a big no-no. And now, so it's, he goes in and he sees, whoa, wait a minute. I remember the three guys who came to my house. Remember they said you called me. Who are these people? <laughs> Dude, now, you know, I was already trepidatious with just you four. And now, you know, I've got a scene of Gentiles. Everybody's here. <laughs> you know, um, 
uh, yeah, Peter had been with Christ when he healed the centurion's servant, though. Uh, but again, yeah, he might have assumed that was just for the Messiah. Now he knows. He, his vision is starting to be cl more clear, okay? He, he understood when he answered the door or when Simon told him those men were Gentiles. Okay, I'm going to Gentiles, okay? Now he gets here and he's like, oh, I'm going to a lot of Gentiles. <laughs> and then, uh, and, uh, and probably the, you know, he's recalling when Christ uh, healed that centurion servant. And now he realizes whatever his master did, that he must do also. And that's what Christ was telling them. But again, these, these are mysteries being revealed. Going back to the mystery. Okay. 28 and 29. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go, or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Okay, first of all, this seems like a, you know, a rude kind of thing. You know, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man. But he, he's just saying, look, you know, you know I shouldn't be here. But, but, but God, God is faithful. You know I'm not supposed to be here. But... God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That vision said nothing about a man, but he realizes that it had to do with men. It's not just the dietary system, but what God was showing him was that the Gentiles through, you know, in all four corners of the earth to go to them. That's who's that's who Christ is seeking now. Um, so they're not any man. Uh, you must not call any man unco uh, common or unclean. Um, by the way, this wasn't technically a law for them not to go into the uh, Gentile, you know, or even eat with them. Again, we talked about how it would contaminate the food a little bit, and we'll see how it wasn't really against the law that he, that he would, we'll look at that next, um, but, uh, it wouldn't be, yeah, against the law for him to, uh, uh be in there. Peter's grasping the full weight of the vision. He's, okay, now, he still doesn't know quite yet because he asks. <laughs> what reason have you sent for me? Now he, now okay, you know he's he's got pretty much all all the other notitia of the vision, all the other information of the of the vision. What he lacks is particularly what Cornelius sent him for, what what the angel had told him, all of that. Um, uh, yeah, so he yes. asked. Verse 30 through 34. This is just a recapitulation, basically, but we see some more information. So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call, uh, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So I just, first of all, I think it's kind of funny because God, Peter's trying to understand the, verse, the vision. And so he asked him, you know, what are you seeking? And Cornelius is dealing with the same thing. I'm trying to understand at least you know, the, the end of the vision. Uh, so we're all here waiting to hear what you, what you have to say, uh, what God has commanded you to say. Uh, he called the angel man. Again, we already talked about that because that's one reason I think uh, it, it very well um, is likely Christ. Um, and it shouldn't be, even if it wasn't though, again, I've mentioned how uh, in the scripture, you know, sometimes man and angel are used interchangeably. So it, this man knows the scripture, and so it could just very well be. So we don't know. But again, he bowed to him and called the Lord, so I assume it was Christ. Um, yeah, I already briefly talked about that. We talked about that. 
And so uh, he was in bright clothing. We see on the Mount of Transfiguration that Christ's glory shines brighter than the sun. We also see, you know, his revelation to Paul. So we just have to realize when, when you know, we we, when an angel's bright or when God in the glory of Christ is bright, like we, we you know, we just can't imagine that this, that this, this like soft glow or even it's something as powerful as the sun. It. Pales in compare the sun pales in, compar in comparison to that bright light, that pure light. Cornelius um, told Peter, "I don't care." Oh, so we're all present before. God. So that means that these people are all waiting and willing to be taught. They're they're not. These are these are true people, faithful to their God because they know the faithfulness of their God, and so they can't wait to be taught. They they. They're looking and seeking after more of God's revelation about himself so that they can know him more. All right. Um, yeah. That's fine. Okay. 34 and 35. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. So that Peter opened his mouth, that, that's, that's used in the Bible as something that's significant, that's about to be said, and something very thoughtfully considered. Okay, uh, Peter's about to preach the gospel. Okay, uh, The good news of Christ. So, you know, anyway. Um, uh, many say they're interested in sharing the gospel. But it seems like they mean another thing. Like, you know, it's all well and good to give your testimony to somebody, but that's not the gospel. It's all well and good to say, gee, well, I don't think so. But, you know, let's say <laughs> you're saying God loves you, all that kind of thing. I mean, that's really sweet. I don't, it may or may not be true, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of the history, of the historical account of who Christ was and or is and what he did. That's the gospel. That is what we preach. That is what we share. It, but you can use your testimony, and that's what's called pre-evangelism. Sometimes you, you use these to lead into the ultimate sharing of the gospel. Okay, But sometimes you can use those. Um, so the gospel is not about me, and it's not about you. It's about him. Okay, And that, that's essential to understand. Um, yeah. Okay. So Peter at least knows what, the, uh, at last knows what the vision means, right? Um, here we see that he shows no partiality, but in every nation. And the, so again, I told you, well, we'll, we'll talk about that. So I, I want to give you two examples, though, of God in the Old Testament showing that his, and again, we saw, well, we'll, we'll see that shortly, uh, but two examples, two short examples. Um, so in Deuteronomy, Chapter 10, 17 through 19. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality or takes, nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So, there it is. You know, the Jews lose sight of the... Christians, look, men always lose sight of the important thing, of the primary thing, and they make it something completely different. Remember when we looked at the lashings, the 40, the, 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 you know, 40 lashes minus one, because you know, it was, 40 was supposed to be... Anyway, so they looked at it completely differently than what it was originally intended, and that's what they continue to do. And they continue to forget that they were strangers in Egypt. 
You know, but here God is saying, I show no partiality. Okay? And and I love the stranger. I give him food. I rain on the just and the unjust. You know, all that. So love the stranger, for you were strangers. All right, one more. Isaiah uh, chapter 2, 1 through 5. It's kind of small. All right, so I'm going to read it off here. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the uh, top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us uh, go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples. Uh, they shall beat their pl- swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. The day of the Lord, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. So this is this is ta- oh, oh. All right. this is talking about the grafting in of the Gentiles. And we're going to see. We're going to conclude with uh, Isaiah chapter forty-two uh, because that's very important. Is so far as Christ going out to the Gentiles. Um, Okay, so verse 36 and 37. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. He's talking about the ministry of uh, Christ. Okay, real quickly. Um, so God has made a plan of redemption from eternity past, and that's what we've talked about. And that plan involved a nation called Israel for a time. And that nation, those those people don't understand it now. And we, are, God's people, is still Israel. We are still Israel, but they just didn't recognize that that nation was going to be a global nation. When when God called, uh, uh, here we go. Uh, God, from the beginning in Genesis, He made it clear that His salvation, His redemption, is going to be the whole world. He told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. When Noah comes out of the ark, he tells his sons to do the same, be fruitful, multiply, spread across the earth. He tells uh, Abraham that he's going to be the, he's going to make him the father of many nations, many nations. And he continues to say that. And so the Jew, but the Jew kept on thinking, well, we're, our, our father is Abraham. It's just our nation. He continued to say it in the Old Testament. It's not just this pile of dirt, you know, on the east side of the Mediterranean. It is the, the people of God. It is a people. It's not a, it's not a land. It's a people. It's a body. Um, however, we must understand the Jewish theology here a little bit. I mean, uh, the circumcision was given to Abraham. It was a law specific to Abraham. And so that's one thing you'll see in the, in, in the New Testament, a big problem of whether or not converts to Judaism need to get circumcised. And one of the problems is, Look, they give it to Abraham. We all notice now that he's the father of many nations, but he still gave it to Abraham, and so it should be given to everybody. And we'll look at that. But we have to understand their reticence. We have to understand where they're coming in. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, we've seen that. Yeah. Um, but we, we saw in the previous verse, uh, Peter said that he had understood that God accepts whoever fears him and works righteousness. Now he immediately proceeds to the gospel because that is working what is it? That's fearing God and working righteousness, the gospel. Again, Christ, God doesn't save because we pray. God doesn't save because we fear him. God doesn't save because we work righteousness. We fear him because he saves us. 
We work righteousness because he saves us. Does that make sense? We are utterly opposed to him outside of him. Before we come to him, that's how we are. We're living in darkness, and that's just where we are. That's our default position. Coming to him is the only way we fear him. Coming to him is the only way we work actual righteousness. We can talk about that some other time. Um, okay, he, he sent uh, his word through his... But, yeah. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Um, he sent to his word through his son to preach his peace. Remember, his peace through Christ. Now, we saw Isaiah talk about the peace in so far as nation to nation, but this peace is really the peace with God and man. His redemption, his redemptive peace, that enmity, that hostility we are born with against God uh, in sin, but um, that, that uh, enmity is fallen under Christ. Um, and such peace manifests with man to man as well. You know, the, the brother and sister in Christ will uh, also have a peace uh, together. So Peter's sermon consists, consists of two parts, really. The scriptures of Israel and the fulfillment of those old scriptures. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but he also says that word you know. Cor Cornelius has at least heard of this Galilean carpenter. You know, of this, of this one who went through all, all Galilee and Samaria. And again, this guy's well, he went into all, all, all uh, Galilee and uh, Samaria, and then he went into Judea, and, and he know, he's heard. Again, that was huge news. So he, he, he at least knows about it, and Peter's pointing that out. Um, uh, Christ's ministry began in Galilee, um, you know, uh, which he talks about, um, which included the episode of his return to this hometown, Nazareth, uh, which we'll talk about another time. We're okay. That's fine. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, but again, no, nothing about Christ stood out, right? Uh, it's a, David says that he was rugged and handsome. Saul, who was uh, the king before David, was very tall. I mean, there are just these. But it says nothing about Christ in, in that way. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's go to the next. Forgot when I go scrolling in there and it doesn't let me do it. Go to the next one. There we go. Okay. 38 and 39. Like that? Ominous. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all, th of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. At Christ's baptism, God anointed him for his ministry. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, well, if I turn it down all the way, it's going to mute the microphone. I'm stuck. Uh, anyway, so Christ's baptism, uh, it says God, uh, you know, anointed him. Now, that doesn't mean he wasn't his son from, from all of eternity. But let's put away these weird imaginations of Christ healing a pigeon when he was a child. He was always the son of God, but he wasn't anointed as Messiah. He wasn't, he wasn't empowered to do the work God has sent him to do, God the Father sent him to do, until that baptism. He's anointed at his baptism. He's not just some ordinary... He's always been sinless. He had always been sinless. He lived his whole life sinless. But he wasn't given his messianic powers until his baptism. And we can talk about that some other time too. But um, it, it's important to recognize that. Uh, he was still the God-man. He's always been the God-man. Um, yeah, he could not do anything other than to obey and, and, and listen to his God. Um, 
And we are all witnesses. Yeah, we are all we are witnesses of all things. It points to all the disciples, not just the apostles, but but also the disciples. Um, which it's just kind of interesting because you know he's 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 mentioned that he was a witness. One of the things I just kind of at the end after Christ is crucified, everybody's hiding. You know, all the all the disciples, all the apostles, they lock they lock themselves into the, this upper room because they're scared of the Jews and the Romans. But the women, the women went out to the tomb. The women were actually the brave ones, and they were the first ones that Christ, or well, heard that Christ is, was risen. And I just think that's a beautiful depiction. Peter was shaking in his boots <laughs> in, in the room. And then you know, here's the testimony of the women, and now he's now he's assured, and now he becomes a witness. We talked about the um, hanging on a tree, so we'll leave that for now. Um, and this is a very brief of the crucifixion, but it's enough before going to his resurrection, which uh, we'll which we'll see. But th this is this is a proper sermon, okay? No no sermon, no preaching. There is no preaching without the life ministry of Christ and his death and resurrection and ascension okay so the crucifixion is necessary his, his and his resurrection is absolutely necessary at least those two but definitely the other ones as well but at least those two are absolutely essential okay 40 and 41 him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly not to all the people but to witnesses chosen before by God even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead so here Peter's moving to the resurrection You've got to notice again this is proper and faithful teaching um, it's the only right preaching uh, this is the gospel okay this is the good news uh, Christ's resurrection is true history again we're going to go back to that uh, um, for a moment because Peter said that they were chosen by God to be his witnesses okay but not with like a heart of pride right he, he, Peter doesn't say that with a heart of pride. Again, no, he was he was he was sheltered in the house. I don't know if I want to take the time to talk about this, uh, but the Bible, the Bible shows its its characters, warts and all. They don't they don't make Peter this perfect man. They make I mean Christ was a perfect man, but David we remember Bathsheba. And he's the greatest king of Israel, you know, before Christ. You know, and, and so God sh shows his men and his servants warts and all. And partly, and we have to understand that only makes, you know, in the pantheon of the, the myths of the Greeks, I mean, the Roman uh, myths actually did show their warriors warts and all as well. Uh, but uh, in the Greeks and everything, it's just these perfect, you know, everything is like that. The, the Bible is not that way. And we'll talk about that um, um, more as we go along. Um, yeah, okay. I'm just going to move along now. Oh my gosh, we're going to Okay, 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it was he who, uh, uh, it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So Peter goes, to goes on to tell them that the risen Christ commanded them to preach and to testify uh, to people. Uh, it's not just an apostolic mandate. It's a mandate to uh, everyone. Um, this is for all his, as we'll see in verse 44. Yeah, it will likewise apply to uh, Peter's hearers. Um, okay, we're gonna, we're just gonna move along. Okay. Okay, uh, 43. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. We must never forget this either, that it includes the prophets. 
the testimony of the prophets. It's not just, you know, the, the incarnation, the life ministry of uh, Jesus and his crucifixion and his resurrection. It also includes the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So it's important to remember this part too. Um, and, and I think that because Peter kind of gets cut off here, <laughs> this is where God's impatience starts. <laughs> he says, you know, to him, all the prophets witness that, that uh, through his name, whoever believes will receive remission of sins. And I'm sure he was about to go on to quote a prophet or two, as he's done in the past, as we've seen him in other sermons. But he's interrupted graciously by God himself. 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. So I think it just, it is, so this is just like Pentecost, first of all. And also, I just think this, this shows, like, God came to this man, and now Peter's preaching everything he, did, he decided, and he doesn't even wait for Peter to get to the prophet. He's like, okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, I'm done. Here, here's, here's the Spirit. Um, yeah, and again, the Spirit descended on Christ as a dove also. Um, now he baptizes with his Spirit and with fire. Okay. Just as John the Baptist prophesied, I have to talk about this real quickly because I always talk about fire. I love the analogy of fire because John the Baptist had said, when he was asked, why do you baptize? He said, I baptize you with water, but there is one who's coming after me, who's preferred before me, whose sandal straps I'm not even worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. So it's the analogy of the Spirit and fire. So the fire does many things. It destroys, and but it refines. It refines, it purifies, it, it gives heat, and it gives light, uh, and, and it needs to be fed. So use this as an analogy of the spirit, okay? The spirit destroys, the spirit destroys sin, okay? And, 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 and fire can destroy. Um, it refines, the spirit refines as well. Uh, it, it gives heat, the, the heat of a uh, warm heart. Uh, yeah, and gives light, I already said that. It needs to be fed. The spirit within us, he, he needs to be fed with his word and, and his testimony and his preaching and prayer, of course. But that spirit, when, when we believe, our faith needs to be fed. Okay, Otherwise, it starves to death. All right. Um, and nothing which goes in comes out the same. Nothing that goes into the fire comes out the same. Just as we, who were reborn in the spirit, are never the same. If we are, I'm sorry. It's just indicative of not being reborn. Um, and it changes. A, a flame, a fire changes, and yet it remains the same. It, it's always floating. I, mean, I just think it's and it's beautiful and yet terrifying. It can be destructive. It can absolutely be destructive, but it's also beautiful. Um, it can kill, and it can also save. You know, a person's free. You know, all sorts of things where heat comes in, and Again, we have tongues of fire in the account of Pentecost, and these people are given, we'll see, the, the gift of uh, speaking in tongues as well, which I wanted to talk about more, but we won't. Um, we'll talk about that another time, God willing. Uh, but, again, so that fire, I just find a proper analogy uh, for the Spirit, and I think, obviously, the Bible attests to that, so I feel like I'm pretty solid ground <laughs> with that. Uh, and you can be sure that whatever pagan influence Cornelius had before, is swept away in a glory of fire. Uh, you think that could? I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, and we'll, one which we'll see speaks uh, other languages fluently. Again, 
this is true history. We all love stories, but stories illustrate a point. And again, we'll get back to this someday, God willing. Um, yeah, no, yeah. So God has gone through great lengths to bring these two to met- together, uh, and you know, all that's left before, while Peter was talking was God Himself, and here He pours he pours Himself out on these people. Um, yeah, yeah. I kind of talked about some of that. Okay, we're gonna go um, really quickly. To love is to obey. You can deny it, yeah, but. If you deny it, you'll only find yourself with your feet planted in midair. That's ultimately true. I mean, that's how it happens. Okay. Oh, that's right. It doesn't do it if I go over there. All right. 45 and 46. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. And as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So again... This is the reflection of the Pentecost episode where, where the whole house is filled and then they're given the ability to speak in, uh, in other languages, magnifying God again. They're not talking about what they just ate or, or you know what they're going to prepare for dinner. They are magnifying God and magnify God just like they did at Pentecost. This gift isn't this just cool little thing for his people. It's, it's a precious gift for his purpose. And they use it that way. I like that picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool, right? Yeah, I really love it too. Um, so, and here's where uh, we've mentioned that the Jews would be astonished. Where is it? Yeah, uh, those who were of the circumcision who believed were astonished. So, this is where I said they were going to be astonished. And we'll see again next chapter in Jerusalem. They're not happy about this at all. Um, but that's quickly remedied, to be clear. Um, Again, this is the first manifestation of the Spirit poured out on the Gentiles. Again, we're Gentiles. Uh, uh, and we must reflect upon the fact that God had, through many prophecies, declared that this was going to happen. Like, I've shown you some, right? Still, from the garden until this point, it hadn't happened. This is the first time. I think it's incredible. I think it's beautiful. I think God is amazing. Uh, he manifests so unexpectedly and yet amazingly, so clearly. Unexpectedly, but clearly. Saving the house of this Italian centurion would be unheard of by the Jew. And, and again, um, uh, in God's wonderful providence, is stumbling block to the Jew and foolishness to the Gentile, but the revelation of God's righteousness. It, it, Paul talks about the... Paul says that about the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, yeah, just as at Pentecost, these Gentiles speak with tongues, magnifying God. The first saved Gentiles are given power to witness to the world. That's very important. It's very important. This is not just some vacuous gift so that they can show it off at parties. Hey, check out what I can do. Do you know Russian? <laughs> I can speak it now. <laughs> No, it's testify to a Russian if he comes across a Russian. 47, 48. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water? These should not be baptized who, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. This is a reversal of sorts. We see time and time again, the, the, the people come to faith, they're baptized, and then they're filled with the Spirit. Here's a reversal. He, now, now Peter's basically saying, Okay, well, that happened. 
Now, but the mandate of baptism, baptism in Christ's name, still needs to be done. So just because you know this, they're filled with the Spirit. That doesn't mean they can't. They don't have to. They shouldn't. They don't have to be baptized. They must follow Christ's command. They must follow Christ's example. To put it, a terrible way. Um, yeah, we just. Yeah, we discussed this a little bit about the forbidding of the water when we looked at Philip and the eunuch. Remember when the eunuch was saying, you know, uh, here's water. What forbids me from uh, being baptized? Um, sermon, Peter's sermon ended with the preaching of the prophets, remember? Uh, or preaching that the prophets were witnesses, um, and you know, whoever believed in Christ would receive the remission of, or forgiveness of sins. And they immediately, so not medium, you know, without any mediums, they are immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. Now they've got to be baptized as a seal into Christ. That's kind of what this is. And naturally, they invited Peter to stay a few days. We're going to conclude... So that's basically the end of that. We're going to conclude with Isaiah 42. And, I, and it might be a little hard to read, so if you want to, you know, take it out. Um, it was a little hard to read when we looked at it. And, yeah, I just didn't change it. But anyway, all right, we're going to chapter 42. All right. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor, ca nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail, nor be discouraged, till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth of earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will not, I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetations. I will make the rivers coastlands and I will dry up the pools. I will bring the blind by, the, by a way they did not know. And I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back, they shall be greatly ashamed, who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, You are our gods. Hear you, deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my, as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect, and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things but you do not observe, opening the ears but he does not hear? The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable, but this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes, and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey, and no one delivers, for plunder, and no one says restore. 
For among, who among you shall give, give, will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who go, gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they, who, they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and, his strength, and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around. Yet he did not know, and it burned him. Yet he did not take it to heart. O God, thou art the holy fire, the breath of holy flame. May thy holy blaze rise higher and engulf us in thy name. By thy faithfulness we witness, and we share thy holy spring, to preach thy, of thy forgiveness for those who hear what thou dost bring. Thy providence and grace is only thine to give. To fall upon our face must be our only way to live. So bid the whole world come, Lord, that thou may reap the greatest part. May we seek thy great reward, knowing only thou can change man's heart. Cascade a holy torrent to call thy saints to be. Send us with thy warrant and arrest man's heart to thee. All right, let's pray. That was kind of loud. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your redemption, your salvation to the ends of the earth. Thank you for your plan. Thank you for your manifestation. Thank you for working out your word. Because we're pleased at what you do. Give us hearts to love and to honor you, to seek and to love you with all that we are. That obedience isn't a bondage. It's a freedom we have never, rarely experienced. Manifest yourself in us. We might preach your name throughout all the earth. And you're glorified today and forever. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Fire Ministries podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.